Today's show brought to you by our friends at Woodbine. Be sure to check out racing action north of the border at Woodbine. The countdown is on for the Queen's Plate. Less than two weeks until the big race for Canadian-bred three-year-olds scheduled for August 21st. Additionally, we've got four stakes this weekend we're going to be covering here on the network. August 13th, the Trillium Stakes Grade 3, and we've got the Bold Venture Stakes as well. And then on the 14th, the Bison City Stakes and the Seagram Cup. Lots of graded action, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to cover it. For more information, go to woodbine.com and make sure to check out our shows later this week on the In The Money Media Network. Welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for, gosh, I've lost track of the days. It's Tuesday, I almost said Monday, August 9th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you from the little house on the east side. It's sales week. That means, you know, things are pretty dizzy up here. But of course, we, we need, we're putting a show together. Um, and we're going to look back at all the stuff that happened last weekend, including a couple of win in your in races for the Breeders' Cup and to chat about it all. We bring in the man who's been doing such a good job on these recaps. He, he did a decent job on his on his betting, too. We'll get to that. I'm speaking about from in the money Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? Doing great, my friend. Glad to be in the thick of it at Saratoga and ready to uh, make my visit coming up. It's been a fun meet already, and I think a lot of a lot of good is on the horizon. So I want to talk to you about your big hit on Saturday, where I know you use the 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 big favorite uh, Saint Tappet in that one maiden race as a as a backup play on in your uh, horizontal betting. I think it was the pick six specifically, but because you used him as a because you used the favorite you didn't really like as a backup, does that mean you had to give the money back? <laughs> I'll let you know if there's an assessment made afterwards, but uh, yeah, I actually, I zigged and zagged a little bit. So I, my, my main ticket was, um, it was rather, I'm actually going to pull it up so that I'm not just speaking totally out of, out of turn, but it was actually relatively inexpensive. So what I did was I went back and played a backup that used some, um, some backups in the test and I only used Money Supply and St. Tappet. So obviously this was a this was a sequence where I only used Warlike Goddess. There were no no backups for Warlike Goddess. I I treated it just simply as a pick five and um, saw no reason to to help her whatsoever. If she was gonna lose, I was done. And so what it ended up doing, it ended up creating a situation where my main ticket was uh was one by three by one by two by five by three. So for a dollar, it was 120. I played it a few times in case I was right on the all A's. And obviously that wasn't going to pay that great anyway. But, um, and so then I, on the backup, I, the backup ticket was $120. It was, just, it was single. Then I used St. Tappet and Money Supply. Then uh, November Rain and, and um, I'm sorry, not November Rain, the other one that I liked in there, the other closer, Sterling Silver and Chi Town Lady. Then uh, Life is Good and Olympiad five deep in the Saratoga Oaks, three deep in the nightcap, two, three, and four. And so, you know, after Chi-Town Lady won, looking at having the two favorites in the in the Whitney, but then five deep in the Saratoga Derby to get to the last race where I really liked Curlin's Wisdom and Action Jackson, I felt like there were some real possibilities in terms of what could come in. And um, and so, you know, it was it was exciting at that point. It ended up paying fine. No, no, nothing wrong with a, you know, a low five-figure score. And so I, it was 
it ended up making for a really good afternoon and continued what's been a good first half of the meet. Hopefully, as I said to you before we started, I, I don't just uh, completely fall apart in the final 20 days, which is usually how the first 20 days go for me. But, you know, we'll see if we can, can successfully avoid it. You'd rather be in a position of strength, that's for sure. So I guess I mischaracterized your opinion. I mean, you liked you liked St. Tappet more than I was giving credit for. I, I just had to make the snarky joke. No, it was a, it was a joke that you couldn't miss, and I would have actually uh, I would have been disappointed if you didn't take the opportunity. So it's uh, it is a okay. With those good opinions, did you make any noise in the, the the contest? We've been talking a lot on this show on other shows about these three hundred dollar Naira bets contests that happen. What was your results in there? This was actually a bad one for me. So I needed uh, I, I got back in the mix with the exacta in the Glens Falls which um, I actually tweeted and, and I had almost been over my life tweeting bets as far as whether they could win. But I said, I was going to play a cold six one. So I played a, I played a 50, I only had $50 left. I played a $50 cold six one that got me to about, I think 500, 540, somewhere in that range. And then in the following race, which was the second leg of the, the pick six, I played um, some doubles into the favorite Matareya. And did not use St. Tappet, which was fine. I wasn't going to be wasn't going to be too upset about that. And then that left me in position to make one more bet in the in the test. And so I played a a big one seven, a smaller seven one, and I didn't split them. Uh, I didn't split them with Chi Town Lady on top. So I mean, I was I was set up to be in the you know fifteen hundred to two thousand dollar range if it came in one seven or seven one. So. I was rooting for a DQ of the of hot peppers, which I didn't really think it was going to happen. So um, yeah, it ended up. So my streak's broken. I've got to start anew. <laughs> Very good stuff. We will talk the specifics of these races. We're not going to do them chronologically, just because you know I think the, the, there's one um, race in particular that I'm super eager to get your thoughts in, and that was the the race that gives Saturday its name. Talking, of course, about uh, the Whitney. And we saw Life is Good make his return to the races. He ends up with a 107, rather strong buyer speed figure. Uh, visually, I was not I was not blown away. Now, I, Todd Pletcher blamed the, the the jankiness in the stretch on maybe an overcorrection from from the rider being worried about the stablemate, a happy saver making the move up the rail. But let's just back up and talk about this race as a race. What did you think of the Whitney? You know, I think the biggest takeaway for me was not so much that Life is Good ran particularly well. It's how bad Olympiad ran. Uh, Olympiad was a complete and total no-show in this race. He looked like he was in perfectly fine position going down the backstretch. And when Junior Alvarado started to move his hands, there was just nothing there. I, I feel like as far as the winner goes, you know, the, the, this horse breaks very quickly he put a, a significant amount of space on his rivals pretty quickly. And I think that, you know, that may have hurt Olympiad. He was a little bit too, maybe a little bit too forward, but he got in his, he got in the position he's been in when he's been successful throughout the year. So as far as Olympiad goes, there's really not much more to say with regards to life is good. He's very fast. There's no doubt about it. He can set fractions that will ultimately hurt other horses in a very significant way, going a distance of ground. If you left this race believing that he is a real Breeders' Cup Classic prospect, 
I, you saw something different than I did. I, I don't think this horse looks like one that is going to excel at a mile and a quarter. I get it. Keeneland is a, is a track that can definitely appear to be more speed favoring at times. So much is going to happen, Pete, between now and the Breeders' Cup as far as who ends up going in the Breeders' Cup Classic, which of the three-year-olds ends up going, who, what happens with Flightline. I mean, that's a big one, obviously, that if you're really confident in life is good, you're basing that confidence on something that I'm just not seeing. What we know is that life is good is super fast. He is very dangerous at a mile and an eighth. Uh, but he is not a horse to me that really is going to want to go much farther than that. I think he gets a little wobbly late, much like he did in the Dubai World Cup. I got to admit, I thought when they came off the turn, he was not going to win. I thought that I didn't really think Happy Saver was going to get him up the rail. I actually thought for a stride or two that Hot Rod Charlie was going to start to wear him down on the outside. And Hot Rod Charlie, I will admit, I think ran better than I thought. I still think they're missing they're they're missing the point with Hot Rod Charlie. Hot Rod Charlie needs the lead. It's very simple. He must be on the lead to be successful. And I almost wonder if they should make a decision to run him in the Jockey Club Gold Cup, leave the blinkers on, and tell, well, Flavian Pratt will be in California to ride Flightline, tell whomever gets on him that day, you you push this horse out of the gate until your arms fall off. Get him to the lead <laughs> and let's see what happens. You know, much like William Buick, I think it was William Buick who rode him at, at Maidon, did, and he got the lead. And, and you know what? He was... He was successful in his in his comeback race. He's just a different horse when he has the lead. The one one other thing, and, and I'll stop on my tangent that I wanted to mention was the little the little duck to the rail in mid stretch. Probably gamesmanship more than anything. But God, am I getting tired of Irad Ortiz? I mean, it's it's getting to be it's ridiculous. I mean, him Saez is bad about it too. These guys are are throwing their horses around down the stretch like they're ping pong balls, and you know. Gary Stevens and Richard Migliori are, are, I guess, the two foremost jockeys that are on air and have a platform now. And they both castigated him pretty, pretty hard. And I think it's deserved because, you know, there really was just no point. There was really no reason to do that. It was uh, it, it was just not something that that was necessary. And he's lucky that that Johnny was on a horse trained by the same trainer. And and obviously, you know, Irad is, was a was a fan of Johnny's as a little boy. Um, I don't think he was trying to to drop him or anything, but you know, there's just no point in doing that. If you think you're doing that because you need to maintain your edge, you're probably actually hurting your horse by making them zig and zag in and out. And I wish he would just—he's a world class rider. There's just no need for doing stuff like that. Yeah, I second it. We've seen some very dangerous stuff, unfortunately, and, and I'm very surprised that it uh, that it continues. Feels like the kind of thing in the old days would have been sorted out in the in the jocks room. That's not the world in which we live anymore. It, it and you know when you look at the punishment for the, that super egregious one at at Gulfstream. Uh, no, I was at Gulfstream during it. The race was in New York. Um, and and the punishment was basically like a holiday, a few extra days off at the holidays. That's that's not going to discourage the behavior, and it's it's going to leave some some dangerous stuff out there. And you know, I mean, I I I'm a fan of the guy, but I mean, I get exactly what you're saying. I can't defend him. You know, it's it's uh it's it's a little bit scary, and it's not it's not fun to watch, and it's it's not going to end well. Um, what is the path to fixing it? I mean, it, it, I would assume it's something that the stewards have to deal with. Yeah, I think that's exactly the problem. Stewards have to deal with it. Um, they're going to need to, you know, and this is why, without getting into a more extended conversation about category one stewarding, what people that are, people get fixated with regards to category one and how interference is is handled. 
But one of the things that a category one system does is that the penalties for, for infractions are so severe. It reminds riders that when you're in crunch time and you feel a rival coming up on your outside, don't jerk your horse into their path like you're doing right now. Don't herd. Don't do this stuff on a regular basis because you are going to be suspended and fined severely. I mean, let's be realistic, Pete. Irad is a 30-year-old man that's making two to three million dollars a year, right? I mean, he's making more money than he could have doing anything else that he ever dreamt of. If you find this guy the equivalent of a week's pay, I think he's going to stop doing some of this stuff. And that's the kind of yeah. fines that would be meted out in a category one system. I mean, you tell him, okay, you're being fined $80,000. I think $80,000 is going to get his attention. I think 500, 1,000, whatever it is. I mean, he walked up and, and punched Paco Lopez in the face and got a $500 fine. Meanwhile, the racing secretary in New York didn't categorize a horse as a New York bread and got a $2,000 fine, right? I mean, it's, it's just insane, some of the stuff that goes on at the racetrack. It really defies logic. But so I think if you're doing stuff like that, it makes them think twice about being able or being willing to do it. And so, and the suspensions have to be real. And in a situation like this, this is a time where he is supposed to be called in and told, hey, you didn't commit an infraction that would require disqualification, but don't do that again. And in order to remind you not to do it again, you're getting the last week of the meet off and we're fining you $25,000. Yeah, and I think he very probably, different than, yeah. very different result, right? I mean, and the, the other issue and without going on and on with this, because I don't know if anybody necessarily tuned in for this, but all of the fines and suspensions and infractions in New York racing right now are only controlled by one steward. The three stewards do not arrive at these decisions together. This is handled by one steward. Only the gaming commission steward does this. And so, you know, that's a that's a, an important point about the way things are situated and how the results of, of some of these decisions uh, end up affecting the riders. I'm twitching, trying not to go on the tangent about the pick five debacle from the other week, which we went really easy on. The, the the I don't know ultimately where that where that falls if that I I think it might fall in the in the same in the same place with the the gaming commission and the stewards or it could be I, it's there's so little transparency I don't even know who to 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 castigate for that debacle but the more I thought about it and and I've I've obviously I, I can't fight the twitch we're just going to talk about it for a minute the more I've thought about it the worse it is I mean to have rules to have your own rules that are rules that are, that are right there. And to not follow them, like even if you maybe think you're trying to do right by the, you can't, you can't break your own rules. And for those that don't know, this is to do with the fact that, you know, much granted, it was much too late to be acceptable surface change, but they ran when the pick five ran the other day, it was meant to be because the surface had changed before the sequence started. It was meant to be, that race was meant to be run as action. And then afterwards, they decided they were gonna they were gonna make it an all race. And you know, I, I mean, look, I get it. Somebody could argue, well, isn't that better for the players because they they changed it so late? I mean, it's such a cascade of errors. Yes, it's an error to make that decision that late, but then you can't decide it's an all after when there's nothing in the rules that that give you the the, the scope to do that. So it was, um, it, it's it, it, and. I've heard whispers. I haven't done any real reporting on this. Apologies, but I've heard whispers that that was redounded to the to the decision of the of the gaming commission somehow too. So there's a lot of strange stuff going on. And one thing I think we can all agree on is that the communication needs to be better. Any thoughts on that pick five debacle to to add or 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 anything? Any any advice to give the people in charge of making these decisions? 
Yeah, no, I mean, there's got to be coordination, you know, and I think a lot of times Naira gets all of the blame. They don't deserve all of it because they're trying to conduct the races and, and do that end of it. And then, you know, there's got to be participation from the stewards. There's got to be participation in a situation like this from the racing office, from the, the racing ops staff with regard to the surfaces. But yeah, my understanding is that there was some involvement in this situation from the stewards that definitely affected the decision being made in a timely manner. And, and so that is ultimately what led to the, the changed decision being made. It was tweeted by, I think, Dave Grenning and other people that the, the decision was made to, to make the first race in all by the state, by the Gaming Commission steward. And, you know, that's... I don't know how, I mean, the whole point of a Gaming Commission is to, like, you know, make and enforce rules. rules. I don't know how you can... I don't know how you can break your own rules. It's not a it's not a neighborhood poker game. You can't just you can't just make and I don't think there's a proviso in the rules. I don't think there's some sort of force majeure. Oh, in the in the act of something confusing, we can do whatever we want. I don't even think there's that that I don't even think they give themselves that power. So it's it's very strange. It's it's very, very strange, right? And the problem is that the the situation ends up affecting the uh, the players and the players ultimately are going to blame Naira and the Saratoga meet is under the most scrutiny of any meet in this country. And so that's just an untenable situation, right? I mean, it's just not, it's not a lot of fun for everybody involved. And, and I think that, you know, you want to see things handled better at the very least. You want to see rules that have been put in place enforced properly. And I just don't think we've, we've had enough of that. And so that's, that's, it's frustrating. One thing that's been an offshoot of it that is, has been a little uh, is a little unfair is that I've seen people say, "Oh, Naira can't wait to run the first leg of a sequence and then take the race off uh, the rest of the races off the turf." Think about it for a second. Is it yeah, better for so. Naira to run the first race and take it off with less than five minutes to post and completely screw everybody who's already made their bet and might not be sitting on top of the simulcast feed? Or let the race run and then turn the rest of the sequence into alls. It's obvious that the latter is the better scenario. I mean, it's, there's no no debating that whatsoever. So, you know, the next time you fire off a tweet or a message board post and think that, oh, Naira has this, you know, incredible amount of money that they're going to get by by screwing all of their customers. No, that that's not that's not what they're trying to do. It's the complete opposite of what they're trying to do. All right. Enough on that tangent. Let's go back to the Whitney because there's a lot to unpack here. So the time form US figure comes back even stronger than the buyer, like way stronger, 136. That is giving, the raw was 133, so more like a 113 buyer, and then extra credit for life is good being uh, being on top of that pace. I mean, it's it doesn't match, it doesn't match the visual, and I guess, and, and just from a form, like looking at this from a form point of view, I feel like Happy Savers Race just makes me doubt it makes it hard enough for me to believe 107, let alone let alone 113. And here's the thing. I think, and this also will tie back into Olympiad and my one note on him. This track, I mean, there's absolutely no way this track did not change. This was I was sitting there in the in the I shouldn't say no way, but it would be the tiniest percent chance because I was sitting in my clubhouse seats when on the open racetrack, we got 20 to 25 minutes of proper saratoga rain before the track was sealed and then harrowed so like i think it's probably a really 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 hard race to make a figure for and i think it's probably a really i mean this is a track that's been tiring anyway and then you get those that unusual maintenance pattern because of that little pop-up storm 
it just stands to reason to me that it would be a track that horses wouldn't visually look great over. And maybe that's part of the reason why I wasn't terribly impressed with, with, you know, life is good, despite the, the seemingly easy victory in decent time. But it also seems like a track that just, we've talked before about the, one of the, one of the, the, the trainer's greatest hits excuses didn't, didn't like the track. The track was cuppy, whatever, whatever. But this was a track I could legitimately have some belief that a horse might just not get over well because it'd be completely different than anything they ever they ever ran on. So more than usual, assuming the training stays on point for a horse like Olympiad, I might be willing to draw a little bit of a line through it, though he'll probably be bet next time anyway. And of course, we'll let Price be the guide on that. But what, what do you think specifically about this figure, Nick, and just the the, the track situation in, in general from Saturday? I think that uh, I think that all, all that you're saying is, is makes perfect sense. I, I think it's hard to believe that it's hard to believe that the test and the uh, sixth race and the Whitney were run on the same track. It's very hard to believe that. I mean, you're talking about one run on, on a fast track under sunny skies, one on a run on a sealed track that basically played more like on the muddy side of good, and then one run on a good track that was harrowed that was probably getting closer to fast. So it, it's, yeah, it's very hard to believe that, that <clears throat> that's what was going on. So I have a lot of doubts, in, in my opinion, about that. Um, I think it was probably a little bit more, could have been more tiring than normal. Olympiad kind of ran in spots. Um, I thought it was a little, a little odd that junior kind of let him almost take a breather down the backstretch and he lost some ground. It didn't look good. And in retrospect, obviously it wasn't good because it, it ended up making it more for him to do. Happy saver is, is sort of the, the rate you don't want to use him as, as kind of the form guide, so to speak, but him running as well as he did, boy, it feels more like an indictment of the race than it does something that that bolsters its credibility. You know, he's just a he's a, about a hundred buyer type that really has never been capable of much more than that. And he is what he is, right? He's a graded state caliber horse, but at the grade one level, he's going to have a very hard time winning. And he had been handled pretty easily by a number of, of very very nice horses. Um, I saw somebody make the absolute cringeworthy comment on Twitter, and, and Twitter is such an awful place for opinions to begin with for most people. But somebody said, Flightline beat Happy Saver by six lengths, and Life is Good beat him by two and had to cut him off in the stretch. I was like, oh, my God. I, I hope they that <laughs> regularly. Um, I'm sure it was somebody from California, which I don't mean to – I'm not insulting anybody from California. I'm from the middle of the United States. But the little brother complex with regards to California racing sometimes just makes me put my head in my hands. But anyway, and I think Flightline's terrific. So, uh, yeah, I think he's kind of the indictment, right? I wonder a little bit. I might be I might be pushing it a tad, but Olympiad had that runner-up finish to Baby Yoda at Saratoga last year where he looked like a winner off the far turn, and he kind of spun his wheels a little bit late. We know Baby Yoda freaked. He'll never run that buyer figure again, blah, 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 blah. Maybe Olympiad doesn't love Saratoga. Maybe Olympiad yeah. loves Churchill, right? But he also ran well at Fairgrounds. So I wonder if maybe Mott is going to say – let me kind of zig where they zagged and run him in the Lucas Classic as a prep for the for the uh, for the Breeders' Cup and try and kind of get in the back door and then have this horse in the gate at fifteen to one, even if he wins the, the Lucas Classic. I, I guess that's apparently where they're going to run Hot Rod Charlie as well. So I'm going to let that kind of be the the guide as far as what what they're going to do. I know Bill Mott has some other classic uh, aspirants that'll end up running in certain spots at Saratoga more than likely, one of whom we'll talk about pretty soon. 
I'd like to see Hot Rod Charlie in the in the Jockey Club Gold Cup. Me but too. They're, 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 they're not doing that though. I saw it mentioned that he was gonna that he was probably gonna run in the Lucas Classic, which you know I, I guess yeah I guess that's the uh, that's the plan. I don't I, I, I yeah I thought I saw that in one of the 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 post post race uh, wrap ups. I'm sure options will be kept open. That'll certainly be the case for Life is Good. I must admit I was surprised at the seeming bullishness for proceeding to the classic. Uh, I heard from, from uh, reading between the lines of, of Todd Pletcher about Life is Good. I wonder if Life is Good, I think you nailed it before when you talked about Flightline. I mean, Flightline does cast a shadow over all of this. And we're going to have this amazing major data point when it comes to the Pacific Classic as to how Flightline looks. And this makes the game that we're about to play a little bit difficult because, it, it you know, obviously guessing like talking about what life is goods price should be for the breeders cup classic is largely predicated on does Flightline do Flightline things in the Pacific classic, or do we finally see, you know, may, maybe a little bit of a vulnerability going that far, but looking at the sharpest, look at the sharpest bookies and their future prices. Now keep in mind, these, this would not be a non runner, no bet bet. This would be an action bet. If he doesn't go to the race, you lose. Life is good four to one for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Buy, sell, or hold. Sell. Sell. I think, I think even I'm if he, so, so even if he wins the Woodward, depending on what happens with the three-year-olds, and remember the three-year-olds are are generally becoming a faster group, and they're always going to be very popular. I'm not sure he's that much less than that in the gate. Now, obviously, this conversation all hinges on Flightline, right? I mean, it, it almost it almost all comes down to Flightline. And and if Flightline, if Flightline makes his normal move around the turn in the Pacific Classic, and then he gets wobbly in the final eighth, and somebody comes and gets him, well, I mean, then you can just throw your hands in the air because this is going to be, this is going to be something totally unforeseen. If we knew that that was going to happen, if we knew Flightline wasn't going to show his form going a mile and a quarter. I think just on the math, I'd probably be interested in taking the life is good at four. But with that as an X factor, I'm with you. It's a sell because if Flightline, you know, Flightline has the opportunity to go as just a massive favorite if he does his, if he, you know, his act is uh, on display in in the Pack Classic. It's it's an interesting one, but yeah, we're both going to sell on that. We'll put something up on Twitter. We'll see what other people think. I'm curious to know, you know, what we'll do like a poll, buy, sell, or hold, and we'll we'll see where people are well, with life well, is good. Cl- yeah. He closed six in the future pool. And I, I will admit, I bought two futures. So I, I, they, now I, I will only buy futures at 50 to one or more. I'm not taking anything less than that. I, I bought dynamic one at 62 to one and first captain at 69 to one. So okay. to me, if either of those horses are in the gate, they are going to be a fraction of that. Um, they are both horses that have run well beyond a mile and an eighth. I think this could become a, a Breeders' Cup Classic that's a bit of a war of attrition. And there were a pile of outrageously terrible prices. I mean, to put it in perspective, I got 69 to 1 on first captain who won the Pimlico Special and just lost the Suburban by a head. Corniche was 82 to 1. Right. <laughs> Corniche is 82 trillion to 1 to win the Breeders' Cup Classic. <laughs> Right. I mean, me and you, me, you, Andy, and Anthony Stabile in a horse suit have a better shot of winning the Breeders' Cup Classic than Corniche. So, you know, I mean, yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway. Oh, but, uh, 
Tawny Port 79 to 1 for Christ's sake. And I got 69 to 1 on first captain. That's too funny. They're not even Tony Port isn't even priced up for for the race in, in at the sharp books. We'll we'll see. This will be a fun game to play along the way with various Breeders' Cup uh, with various Breeders' Cup races. But uh, we'll 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 for the moment proceed to talking about some of the other racing we saw. And, and we may have to speed round this a little if we're going to get through everything we said we were going to try to to get through. But where should we go next? I, I think the logical choices are either the other win and you're in out in California, or we stick with Grade One um, Saratoga Saturday action. We can we can knock out a little California conversation. We're we're bi coastal kind of guys. <laughs> Let's do it. The Clement Hirsch. I thought that she dares the devil on the turn looked like she was just going to absolutely blow that field away. Uh, did not end up being that simple at all. Um, let's talk about this race specifically in terms of, do you think it will have implications for the, uh, for the, for the distaff? You know, it feels like right now um, that, that Brad Cox very astutely brought, she dares the devil to the West coast, looking for some of the low hanging fruit. I think when push comes to shove, I don't see blue stripe or she dares the devil putting much of a scare into Clarier, Malathot, um, or even search results. I, I think that they're, they're better. Um, this was probably going to be on the weaker end of the grade ones as far as this division goes. And so that's kind of where I would, I would land, you know, she dares the devil kind of worked her way back into better form as time went by in the spring and some into the summer at Churchill. But I just don't think she's, you plop, she dares the devil into the personal ends and against Clarier and Malathot. She's no better than the third choice. And really if search results is in there too, she's probably the fourth choice. So I don't, I don't have any great aspirations for Blue Stripe being too successful in the Breeders' Cup. I do think that that She Dares the Devil might have been somewhat hurt by dropping down to the rail, but she was beaten by that point. So really no, you know, no big uh no big thought on that. And and then of course, I mean, as far as the distaff division goes, you know, the the horse that kind of lurks out there that we don't know exactly where we're gonna even see her run the next couple of months is Nest. You know, Nest might be the best female horse around right now. I also don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it like secret oath is done. I know Nest handled her very easily and I do think Nest is better than her, but yeah, I think it's a pretty, I'm not being any kind of East coast biased or think that only things East of the Mississippi really matter. But I, I do think the best female dirt horses are definitely on the, uh, on the Eastern side of the country. And for comparative handicapping purposes, I mean, Desert Dawn ran all things considered a pretty solid second in this race. I mean, Desert Dawn is, is a horse that wouldn't even be one of the two or three choices in the Alabama. Right. I mean, 92 buyer speed figure for Blue Stripe is not going to um, strike fear into the hearts of those three that you mentioned at the at the top of the market right now. Nest, nine to two best price. Clarier, six to one best price. Malathot, eight to one best price. Latruska in there at tens. Um, search results in there also at, at 10 to one with obviously bigger, bigger prices. The rest Desert Dawn is a funny one. I just I like that she finishes. I don't think she's going to win a race like the Breeders' Cup Distaff, but I feel like she could be a very interesting third and fourth at a massive price kind of horse. The way that we recommended using her, or in some one of my write ups, I recommended her as an underneath type horse back in the Oaks. I wonder if I, I wouldn't maybe be able to do that again in in the Distaff because it's one of those situations where, especially for underneath spots, it's often not the fastest horses that that finish there it's the because the fastest horses have have lost the have lost the battle and are and are weakened in the late stage and the slower horse can maybe come and claim them I'm, I'm not 
the, the future price doesn't get me excited only 33 to one with desert dawn but it wouldn't surprise me on the day uh, if if that's another you know interesting potential vertical horse can, can you respect that concept yeah she fires every time i've got respect for her um you know i think phil damato's probably actually been smart keeping her west uh, i don't know if she really could have won the alabama against a horse like nest so no point in, in shipping across when you could get a spot where you could be somewhat successful in uh at home so i don't i don't blame him Let's talk about these other grade ones from Saratoga, starting with a race that you mentioned you had some success with. Shy uh, town Lady for Wesley Ward and uh, a, a very uh, classic Joel Rosario um, ride on this one, coming from last in that fast pace, stamina coming into play at the at the seven furlongs and, and lights up the tote board at 17 to one. Uh, what was it that put you interested in her ahead of the race? So my thought was that if if Matareo was going to be beaten, she would be beaten by somebody who got her late. That was just what it boiled down to for me. I, I felt like uh, she would either get cooked a little or maybe have to negotiate the, a trip from the inside, so on and so forth. So I felt like, yeah, she would just get probably get tagged late. And, and there were two real closers in the race, Chi-Town Lady and Sterling Silver. The other thing is that you... I've learned over time with regards to speed figures, you can't say about a horse like Shytown Lady, oh, she's too slow because her best buyer figures are only in the high 70s when A, even the fastest horse in the race was not doing anything special in terms of buyer speed figures. And B, if she were to win this race, it's going to be a slow race. Like it, it almost can't be a fast race and her win. If it's a fast race, Matt Ray is going to win for fun. So, you know, that's that's just kind of the way it shook out for me. And of course, I mean, it was vintage Joel. You knew when they were going down the back stretch as far back as she was that they were probably cooking up front. And um, and then, I mean, put him on a closer in, in a scenario like that. And you're going to he's going to be successful really, really often. So it was it was one of those where it uh, it, it worked out. Hot Peppers ran a very big race. I, I was a little bit uh, surprised by how well that, that she ran as well, cutting out all those fast fractions and, and just going down late under uh, under Saez. Matareya might be another example of a horse that didn't um, just didn't show her form based on. And, and again, I think I think there's going to be a case to be made that it was just kind of a weird racetrack. I, I'm not. I'm not going to hold that this defeat against Matareya to the to, to the same degree that I that I would have on a racetrack that I that I completely trusted. What did you make of those uh, two three finishers in the test? Yeah, I thought the same thing. I, I thought Matareya maybe maybe making the inside move hurt a little bit. There's no doubt she took a step back from where she had been in terms of her. her prior two performances, both at uh, maybe even prior three, Keeneland, Churchill, and Belmont. Um, might not be a horse who necessarily loves a wet track because um, she, she was reportedly she was training really well coming in. So it really looked like she was going to find a way to beat them. So a little disappointing in that sense. Um, I, I have to say, I really didn't think coming in that she was, was that good. Hot Peppers ran great. And Hot Peppers gets an upgraded time from U.S. figure of 115, which uh, is nine points better than that of Matareya and Chi-Town Lady as this was a code red pace, all three calls. And she stayed on it very gamely to miss by a, a half a length. Length and a half, I guess, was the final margin. Bit of just an absolutely brutal meet for Rudy Rodriguez. I'm sure, you know, this is going to be one of those that he's he's dreaming about. Um, and they're probably more like nightmares. But it'll turn for Rudy. And I think Hot Peppers, uh, 
Here's a bold statement for you. Hot Peppers is in the same barn as Bella Sophia. Hot Peppers is probably just as good as Bella Sophia right now, if not better. That's, I mean, it's a, based on recent results. It's tough to tough to argue against that. And do you think she'll be well suited by a by a turn back to six? I mean, just looking at pace figures, that 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 idea certainly seems plausible. Yeah, race like the Prioress. I think if she ends up going there, she'll be she'll be really tough. Um, I think she probably wants to to be a little shorter. And uh, yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense to me. So I, I would I would figure she'll end up going there and, and they'll probably just try and separate those two. And I think Hot Peppers has a very, very bright future. Yeah, it was it was pretty impressive. I mean, if if I'm right about it being a track that's form doesn't necessarily translate, maybe I'm, I'm going to be a little hesitant to totally throw in the towel that I was wrong and fully embrace her going forward. But you got to respect the the performance that we saw on the track that day. You made just a very good point generally about speed figure handicapping too. I think, which is when you look at, I love what you said about looking at the race and like thinking of it in terms of of scenarios. If and and the idea that if it was going to be a fast race, it was going to be Matarea. You know, obviously one to five shot. And then, but then having the creativity and the flexibility to say, hey, if it's not her, none of them are fast enough. And anytime you get in that situation where, like, for example, if you're in a race where no horse has run the speed figure par in the race, well, that's not a race to give speed, as much as I love speed figure handicapping and give it primacy, when none of them have run the par, that's when you downgrade speed handicapping and you come up with other things you find a pace angle you find a trainer angle you find some other way into the race to maybe give you an edge and and honestly those situations when speed figure handicapping isn't going to have primacy are the ones where you're going to find tremendous value because the market is programmed like my brain to to look at those things first and foremost so i think it was a a good opportunity if you could see past Matarea to to make the kind of creative case that led you to that uh, led you to that nice hit. I just wanted to underline that point though in general because I think that's something that could help players going forward as to you know finding those situations when speed and they may and they are rare but find those situations when speed figures aren't the thing that's necessarily going to help you find the winner. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and and one of the important things I think that that you're sort of alluding to is understand that when a race is full of pretty slow horses, don't be surprised if a pretty slow horse wins. And Matarea <laughs> is not is not a a a particularly fast horse. This was also no vintage running of the test. I mean, this was I, I I quipped afterwards, and I don't want to use the joke too much at risk of sounding too much like a dad, but this was much more of of a quiz than the test. It was not. <laughs> I not think that's a, a good dad. Yeah, it's not a particularly strong running of this race. You're a dad. You're, you're a dad. You're allowed. I so am. It's, yeah, it's, I've been I've been acting and dressing like a dad for like twenty years. I've only been doing it for three, but you know. Let's talk about the William Buick Charlie Appleby show, shall we? Starting off with the race on uh, on Saturday where we saw Nation's Pride. I love this ride from William Buick. I, I thought um, the handling was just terrific. It, not anything awesome in terms of uh, in terms of figures. I actually haven't seen the buyer, but the time form came back one seventeen, so translating to about a ninety seven on that scale. But I mean, this was just this was a case of uh, Nation's Pride doing the business. I once again thought that uh, for my taste, for the way I would have liked to have seen Stone Age ridden, uh, maybe a little bit too far back. I mean, I just think we've seen enough from Stone Age to know that he just he just doesn't quicken. He's a grinder. 
those kind of horses, like I, I want to see them handled a little bit more aggressively. I mean, it was bad enough that I'm not saying it, it certainly didn't cost the horse the race or anything. Just a note for going forward. I could still see a situation where I want to back Stone Age in the right spot. But uh, this was Charlie Appleby and William Buick's day. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost feel like the conversation between maybe somebody at Godolphin and, and Charlie Appleby or Charlie Appleby and William Buick saying something like, can you believe these idiots are putting up $1.7 million worth of turf stakes and, you know, their, their horses don't even really have any form at this distance by then. So, hey, I mean, he, he's happy to come over and take take uh, whatever he can get. I can't wait for these races to take a significant purse decline, which I think they're going to pretty soon. Honestly, I mean, I think Appleby probably comes over and wins this race with Nations Pride if it's a half mil, right? Because they're just yeah, not running for that kind fair. of prize money right now. And 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 Nations yeah. Pride, in the grand scheme of things, fair to say he's a he's a B-teamer in, in Appleby's yard. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think he's, you know, he's well suited to our racing, which is part of it. But right. I mean, you know, they, they obviously a lot of a lot of valuable targets over there. And, you know, given the ownership group, there's things that are worth more than money. So if you're sending them out of town, that's that's indicative of something. Not that the horses, obviously, you look at uh, the form of last year's Saratoga Derby and ended up being a horse who uh, ended up great. Did, prove right. to be, yeah, did prove to be in the A-team, but not necessarily thought of at the at, at the time. So I think that's. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you could run it for half the person. I think you get, I'm not sure who doesn't show up. Let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, as far as the race goes, it was a brilliant ride by William Buick. You know, what, what you mentioned just now is that this horse is suited to our type of racing. Obviously what you're saying is that he's handy, right? He's got some speed. He can put himself in the mix. And and one thing that, that was very clear was that um, William Buick rode him a little bit out of the gate to keep him close he was always within a couple of lengths of the lead. And ultimately, when the running started, he was in just such an advantageous position. I don't really think that Annapolis didn't handle the extra ground. I think that Annapolis is probably more effective going shorter. I mean, he did barely get Classic Causeway for second. And, and, and I also think worth mentioning that it felt like the turf course was decidedly heavier than it had been really at any point all week. And the, the gapped out margins and the fact that positions didn't change that much down the stretch sort of indicates that. So I think the rain really affected that quite a bit, too. It looked like they were cutting into it a little bit more than they have really at any point during the meet. So I, I know the connections have already said Nations Pride will come back for the, the third leg of the turf triple at, at Belmont at a mile and a, I believe it's at a mile and three eighths. No, it's at a mile and a half. I'm sorry. The uh, Jockey Club Derby. And uh, he'll be the favorite. And, and will likely win unless another European, maybe more of a, of a true stayer, comes over because Nation's Pride has that great combination of speed and stamina and um, and obviously made, you know, I would say made short work of this field. I, I think the I think the margin belies the performance. He was a lot better than these horses. Yeah, he was very, very, he was very, very good. And I did think, I mean, Naples ran great. And I did think for half a second he was going there to win the race. And it's it's interesting. I don't know if it was the ground or the distance, but yeah, something told on him there. You mentioned the jockey club race and you said Belmont. Of course, it'll be it'll be Aqueduct, as I think. Aqueduct, I'm sorry, it will be it will be our Royal last Aqueduct. Show. <laughs> will that change the configuration? No, they'll run a mile and a half there. That'll that'll they will run, that'll be yeah, interesting. It'll be on the, yeah, it'll be on the inner. Um yeah, I guess, I mean, quick highlights on that. One of the things, Woodward now becomes a two-turn race. Beldame now becomes a two-turn race, um, which previously those were around one turn. Obviously, Champagne and Frizette stay at a one-turn mile. 
I'm trying to think of any other stakes that some of the 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 uh, Joe Hirsch becomes a three turn mile and a half versus a two turn and the mile and a quarter. Well, there is no Flower Bowl anymore to Saratoga, so there was no mile and a quarter stake. So, yeah, that's basically that's basically the extent of it. And what it means there is could that there be some real implications with the Woodward being two turns. I could see that potentially being more appealing to trainers looking to to prep a horse for for Keeneland rather than doing the 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 one turn Belmont configuration we'll see if that ends up coming into play but i but life there's a logic yeah that's, that's, his, that's his gonna go. yeah yeah they pretty much said straight away that's that's where he's gonna go so i think the two turn mile and an eighth was, is probably what they're seeking and uh that's perfect yeah, i mean him. i think i agree i agree i think it'll i think it'll make for an interesting uh interesting setup and so aqueduct and deserves it'll, it'll a just they'll so we'll we'll have the flight line data point by then and then based on what he does i mean it just makes sense right I mean, half of the game here with a horse like that is they're already thinking ahead, I'm sure, to what, you know, the risk and reward of, of what he's going to be as a stallion, right? And so there's marketing, totally. there's marketing going on. So it makes no sense. As I think about it for a second, it makes zero sense. Even though you have your very good dirt mile plan B, there's no reason to anti-market your your potential stallion by by talking about that. You get to You get this key data point in the Pacific Classic, then you get another bite at the apple at a mile and an eighth around two turns and you're going to be in a really good position to decide well do we want to go out on a winning note do we you know winning this race that doesn't theoretically winning the classic is going to do a lot more for his value like a lot more than than the than the dirt mile but then you also have to factor in the chance that he doesn't get it and you leave kind of a little bit of a not great taste going into the next career or you know you just go out a winner with positive vibes even though in theory you don't have the up there's no real like upside in winning the in, in winning the dirt mile for that horse it'd just be kind of like holding serve i think in terms of marketing your future stallion so but that's yeah it's a well it's a well plotted course for them i think i agree i think it i think it makes the most sense to try something a little bit more ambitious you've already won a dirt mile and uh take on some some real horses in a, in a big opportunity from a sporting point of view it's 10 out of 10 you want to see this horse in the classic and see and see what he can do we'll see how it shakes out we'll obviously be following it all the way through the breeders cup all right the second half of the appleby buick show happened on uh, on sunday when is race number seven with the moonlight my number one observation about this race i mean you know she was terrific it's another great ride how hard the game has gotten in in some senses comes to mind like I just feel like we're at least supposed to get seven to five, eight to five on her with McCulloch in the race who, you know, you watch that tape of the previous race. McCulloch handles her rather easily, um, you know, just blows right by. I was really surprised the market made her the even money favorite with the moonlight over McCulloch's seven to five. I mean, almost to the point because I do these picks on shows and things, I'm so much more selection oriented than I even should be because I want to stick with, you know, quote unquote, my pick. But I was very tempted to spin my own pick and, and take the, the seven to five on McCulloch. I'm glad I didn't. My one theory is, did it become a narrative of with the moonlight outworking nation's pride? Is that part of why she was made the favorite? I just, are you with me on this? Like, doesn't it feel like McCulloch was supposed to be the favorite and we were supposed to be getting a better price on our pick? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the I think the workout influence has been really noticeable at this meet, and and I think that you know for people on the West Coast that are listening to this that have been dealing with workout reports for years, they understand that the amount of money that 
the amount the market moves based on workout reports is pretty established. In the East Coast, it yes. really still it's still out there. And I think what probably helped with the moonlight a decent bit too was that when Walkathon came out of the race, not only was Walkathon a horse that was going to take some pretty significant money, but she looked on paper like the pace setter. And 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 that with the moonlight would probably be stalking her. Well, now it became a situation where with the moonlight looked like she was going to be stalking contemporary art, which, you know, obviously Chad Brown thinks contemporary art has a lot of talent. He was willing to try her in a graded stake off of a maiden win, but she's not a horse the caliber of Walkathon. <clears throat> so I think it made with the moonlight's job probably that much easier. I think there was a little bit of of the public kind of conceding the race to her as well because they figured, well, hell, I mean, Appleby and William Buick didn't come over here to eat at Sperry's. So, I mean, they, <laughs> they've, they've got reason to go home with the money and they're going to find a way to do it. And so, yeah, it, it surprised me that she went off that short a favorite, especially because the, you know, the wind pool does not have any influence from the CAWs. So right. it's surprising to me that the public was so, um, you know, was, was so strong in terms of their opinion and, and they ended up being exactly right. Right. I mean, with the moonlight handled, contemporary art and everybody else very easily. I thought McCulloch was was a little dull. Um, I think that when push comes to shove, McCulloch really got the best of it tripwise at Belmont. And and that kind of played out. Um, I mean, she was, she was what, in a, in a driving photo for second on Sunday, which was not, she didn't run nearly as well as she did at Belmont. She and took a good bump, you know? That was the only excuse I thought you might be able to make for her. I thought she took a good bump in that way. You can't tell sometimes if it's okay, whatever they did the bump that didn't really cost them, or you know sometimes it takes a little it takes a little bit of their wind and can take the sting out of the finish. So I I was going to be kind to McCulloch about the about the performance and and who knows maybe she will be a big enough price if we get a if we get a rematch here that that I that I'd want to take her. Um, you made a great point about the pace. I mean I was thinking. Maybe I was overrating contemporary art. I think I think you make a really good point about how the you know the crowd in part might have cottoned to with the moonlight because of that. But in any case, it's a these are decent horses who are gonna have to get faster to trouble the best of their division. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. I don't know how much McCulloch wants to go a mile and three eighths. I think Chad might try her that long. She's probably is a little bit better going shorter. Who knows? I mean, it is a European pedigree, so there there could be a, a bit of a bit of a try on that front. I misspoke there. I said best of their division to trouble the elder, uh, the, the you know the warlike goddesses of uh, of the world, and and that's where we should probably head next to uh, to warlike goddess. It's funny because sometimes you see a performance, and I'll use we'll, we'll very very quickly very quickly touch on the on the Adirondack here. So it, and and I, just follow me. It'll it'll all it'll all tie back in where you see a performance where a horse in the race is so many lengths better than their competition that you can say, I don't know, blow the turn in the Adirondack and Naughty Gal still ends up um, winning rather, rather cozily in the end. You could say, wow, she was so much the best. She, she ran all that extra ground to the, and, you, and you're not wrong, but at the same time, I, I'm not giving her those lengths. I'm not giving Naughty Gal those extra lengths in ability credit when I evaluate her in our next stop, I will be in the, I can't wait to bet against her uh, pretty, pretty much based on the visual impression and the low overall speed figure. However, there's the other instance where you watch Warlike Goddess run and you see how wide she was and you see the ease in which she did it. 
I am baking in so many more lengths of superiority to her competition and just her overall quality. I thought this was pretty awesome performance, and I'm very excited about this horse going forward. I think you go back and you look at her PPs and you look at the early run in the, the Philly and Mare turf last year. It all depends on who comes over and how they ship and how they're doing from Europe. But it's it's not a wacky opinion to say that, that, that this is the horse I'm going to be betting for the for the Philly and Mare turf. I really like Warlike Goddess. Am I overrating her? No, I don't think so. I mean, look, she made or, made horses that in comparison to her are ordinary look very ordinary. And um, and so just touching quickly on Naughty Gal, Naughty Gal 68 by her speed figure. I think Prank probably stood in her stall on Sunday as this was happening and thought, OK, I'll see you in September. Um, this is not going to be the two the two graded stakes for Philly so far at this meet have both been slow and mediocre. And um, and Prank was neither. And Prank has some stable mate who got a hundred plus buyer speed figure that unfortunately doesn't look like she's in training anymore. Either way, it's going to be, it's going to take something a lot better from Naughty Gal, who not only is going to need to run a straight line, but <clears throat> I'm guessing that we might see her at Churchill rather than, than in the spinaway. I don't think she'd have much of a chance. War, here's where like Odyssey's problem, the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare turf is a mile and three sixteenths. So I don't know if ultimately she might be a horse who goes in the turf. And depending on, I'll ask you this question, insert any male turf horse name of the domestic variety is better than Warlike Goddess. You're not going to come up with any. I can't give you one. Yeah. I mean, the horses you're going to be thinking of are like Adamo, Tribuvin, I mean, Highland Chief now basically is off the reservation, Rock Emperor. Those horses are nothing. I mean, they're nothing to be scared of. So barring, obviously, it seems, stands to reason that Appleby could bring Yabir back. Um, we would need to see the 2021 Yabir versus the one that blew the break and and kind of ran a dull race in the Man of War. I think Warlike Goddess is interesting for the turf. I think a mile yeah, and a half is a really potentially her best distance. And, you know, she might just be better than all of them lying in the weeds a bit. So I don't think Bill Mott will will run her there. I don't think he'll run her a mile in 316th. I think he knows that that distance really is her friend. And one thing we've seen is that her quick burst is quick. Um, she also seems to be able to run on any kind of turf course. She might prefer it a little firmer. And, and might be a little bit better with it on the firmer side because she ran so well in the Breeders' Cup and at, at Saratoga on pretty firm turf last year. But either way, I mean, she's very, very good. I would expect her to be a an overwhelming favorite in the Flower Bowl and to win again on closing weekend and set up herself for a Breeders' Cup try in, in either of those races a couple of months later. It's interesting. There's money that's come for from the sharper books for the Philly and Mare turf from – about 14 down into about eight to one. And I, it, you know, it sounds great until you realize you're making a very good point that she's maybe only 50, 50 to go to the race. So, and again, these are not non-runner, no bet bets. And then you look at the, the, the sharpest book has her at 16 for the turf. And that's just tricky. Not knowing who the hell is going to show up from, uh, from the, from the foreign contingent. So I, I'm more in the hold category. I think after thinking about this uh, for, for a little bit, well, I'll, I'll scour and see if we can see some Mott quotes, see if he's tipped his hand. But it's very logical what you're saying about the mile on 316th. That may be that may be a little sharp. Yeah, it, it just might be. You know, and, and in two prior Keeneland Breeders' Cups, you know, one, you really don't want to count that much because it was right in the thick of COVID. But in the other one, you know, we got, a, we got some really strong participation from Europe with Golden Horn. So, I mean, I, I think the... 
I guess kind of what I'm insinuating there is that the the big horsemen, the big time horsemen that like to ship to America are likely to to put a good horse on the plane for the Breeders' Cup. And um, yeah, and, and that might be what ultimately makes the decision. We will another another one we'll be following very closely. Speaking of Breeders' Cup uh, performances, who we saw at Saratoga last week, Golden Pal made his return to the races in the Troy. This was one of those um, paddock visits that I was almost very disappointed that that I made, Nick, because we watched them walking in, and it, it was you just got real man against boys vibes looking at Golden Pal versus the competition, and of course you got similar vibes looking at the form. I didn't, I didn't lose my bet, but I never felt good about it really at any stage. <laughs> felt like I'd gotten away with one when he prevailed by a, a mere head with a 100 buyer speed figure. Did you think he could lose heading in? And what did you think of how he looked on the track? I thought he could lose. Um, I actually picked Arzak. I thought that Arzak was capable of beating him if he ran his race at, at Woodbine again. And um, I don't know if he got the full opportunity to, but bottom line is he wasn't nearly as good as he was at Woodbine. Um, look, here's my golden pal take golden pal is really good and, and is really neat. He's also incredibly overrated. I mean, he is a horse that set a slow pace and beat a cow bred by a length in the breeders cup last year when he's faced real competition overseas. I understand he's had some excuses, but he's been, he's been very average. Here's the problem to me from, from Friday, he didn't break. And that's often a sign of a horse that the tread on the tire might be thinning a little bit. And so I'm going to be interested to see, it also took him quite a while to get by true valor. Um, I'm going to be interested to see where he surfaces next. And if he goes to the Woodford at, uh, at Keeneland and ends up running in the breeders cup. But if he loses that incredible first step, he is a very ordinary turf sprinter and he will be ripe for the picking in November. Now, having said that he is also a horse that performs very differently in Kentucky. He has, he has been, very, very different in Kentucky. And so he might be one that is just really, uh, really in need of, of his old Kentucky home, so to speak, and and might just get better being back at Keeneland, being at home. You know, the rest of the year, he'll run only in home games. But if that Golden Pal shows up the next couple of times or next time in a prep for the Breeders' Cup, I'll be happy to bet against him. I feel very similarly. The only other excuse I could give him now, granted, we saw this happen in the two-year-old race at the Breeders' Cup, and he was undaunted. Remember how he he showed so much early foot that I think it was Irad back then as well took like this weird hold of him and kind of like brought him back to the pack. There was something a little bit similar after the slow break. He rushed up like shot out of a cannon, and and Irad grabbed him, and maybe now you know with him having potentially lost a step now maybe you can't get that cute maybe you just need to use that speed more as a weapon maybe they'd brought they'd ride him differently let him go as fast as he can as as far as he can as a as opposed to to trying those um those rating tactics but i, I did think it was a little i thought it was a little strange but i also understand you know i having done that successfully before on the horse um he, it stands to reason that he, why he would have thought maybe he could grab a hold and he'd still be able to finish. But, but boy, he didn't finish. He didn't finish the way I expected him to finish. We can say that for sure. No doubt about it. Yeah. He, he didn't finish the way we would have wanted him to. Um, you, you could be on to something for sure. I think it's, it's, that's reasonable, 
But um, yeah, it, it's going to be a matter of when he gets back home, is he going to break like a shot and and put three lengths on the field like he did in the Shakertown this year and like he's done numerous times in the past? Because when he does that, obviously he's a very he's a very different horse. He's a very very strong horse. I mean, the horse who broke quickest by far was True Valor and, and went on with it. And I thought Fergal Lynch gave him a great ride, gave him every opportunity to win. And on pace figures, Golden Pal, you know that's the funny thing about pace figures, Pete, is that. On pace figures, Golden Powell really wasn't that much faster than True Valor. He had one race that was significantly faster than True Valor's last two in terms of pace figures, and it was the Shaker Town. And remember, that was an early meet autumn turf course where it was extremely cold outside. You know, God knows how firm that turf course was, and it may have just been, you know, it, it may have just been concrete underneath him, and, and he was flying on that thing. So, yeah, we'll see how it ends up uh, working out in terms of, of how quick he can go. I saw somebody mention that they might consider running him on the dirt. Um, I, 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 I'm hoping that I just read that on Twitter and, and it was something that wasn't really terribly serious because uh, he has no chance beating any real horses on dirt. It would seem very, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a great idea. I mean, maybe they're trying something and, 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 you know, I, look, I'd, I'd be eager. The, the, I'd be, I'd be all about it to show up and try to try to beat him because he'll the brilliance he's shown he'll take money wherever. But he's one. He's a funny horse. I've never <laughs> one time the one time I bet him heavily. Well, no, that's not true. He I think I, I was with I was with him in I was with him in the first Breeders' Cup. But of course I was there at Ascot when that was the race. I think Irad was looking the wrong way when the gates opened, not being yeah. familiar, super familiar with the uh, the rules. I, I'm I'm a little star-crossed with this horse, uh, but like I said, I got away with it the last day. I will be anti almost certainly going forward, but we'll, we'll see we'll see how it plays out for Golden Pal and, and the rest of these runners. Nick, I, we've we've got, we've done an hour. I think that's enough because I've got guests waiting very patiently in the green room. But always appreciate your insights, folks. Have to check out Nick's notebook. You've been giving out some nice priced winners yeah, bets of the day in there um, in the Money Podcast dot com slash plus to check that out and also of course your analysis for free every day in the moneypodcast.com any closing thoughts before we uh bring in the next guest no i enjoyed it pete looking forward to the rest of the meet and uh, being up there travers week so anybody who's going to be on hand be sure to say hi let's do it all right we'll be back with our next guest right after this today's show also brought to you by our friends at betmakers Fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park, and the early returns are fantastic with 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Fixed odds betting is now available throughout the state via the website Monmouth Park Bets, and the app is coming very soon. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. You're going to hear a lot more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In The Money Media Network. Next up on the show, this is a segment I'm really looking forward to because one of the frequently asked questions we get here on the In The Money Media Network is people looking to get involved or knowing that having kids who want to get involved and, and racing, getting involved in racing can be intimidating and it can be difficult if you don't sort of already start off in the business. So this next guest is going to give us uh, some avenues for people interested in learning more, young people especially. And, you know, obviously we do have some young people who will be listening directly, but I also want you to highlight this the next time you hear of someone or meet someone looking to get involved in horse racing. So very proud to bring back to the In The Money airwaves from Amplify Horse Racing, Anise Mon Pleasure. Anise, how are things? 
Things are great. I get to be in the greatest place on earth, Saratoga, for the next few weeks. And I'm super pumped about everything that we have going on. And I'm excited to tell you guys about what, what Amplify has cooking up. Well, this these tours in particular, I think, are just a great way of getting information about horse racing out there. And I think they really serve a lot of different purposes. For one thing, I think just marketing the sport in terms of what an appealing thing it can be as a sports fan or, or, a, or a better, that's sort of underlying. But these tours, part of the goal is to take it to the next level, if I'm understanding it right. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess kind of throwing it back to the beginning of Amplify and where the name came from, our goal was to amplify uh, existing educational initiatives and build awareness for what was out there and then enhance and fill in the gaps. And so these this is actually our third year doing our Experience Saratoga tours. And so in 2019, we had approached Naira because they already do a, a very cool backside trolley tour and we saw space to build on and enhance that by creating a educational tour that was more geared towards youth and their families or college students and making sure that we had engagement that focused on educating about the variety of tours that or sorry excuse me careers jobs and careers that go into uh, making racing possible both on the backside and front side and then showcasing pathways and providing follow-up so that those youth knew how they could get further involved from there. So that has evolved into a full day. Well, we're doing this year four full day in-depth behind-the-scenes tours, which include the backstretch. Uh, we go over to the National Museum of Racing. That's a new addition to the tours this year. And then we spend several hours on the front side watching the races and to have several speakers included. They're going to get to see the film at the museum, lunch is included. And so it's just, it's amazing how these tours have grown and expanded since they started. I love it. Let's get down to brass tacks. When are the tours? How do people sign up for them? So they start tomorrow. So tomorrow, Wednesday, August 10th. And then, uh, so registration is actually closed for that one. Registration is fully booked for our tours on Friday the 12th and Wednesday the 17th, but people can still register for Friday, August 19th, which will be the final tour. And uh, all the information on registration is all over our social media and on our website. If you go to amplifyhorseracing.org, go to the events tab and Saratoga tours. You can find it under there and also on Eventbrite, which is how we're, we're handling the registration. What would you search for on Eventbrite? Uh, I would say Amplify Horse Racing Experience Saratoga tours should, should bring it up. And how does it work? I mean, is it only for youth? Is there, is, is, is it more open than that? Or, or are parents able to come with their kids? Who would you say should be looking to do this? So the suggested age range is 15 to 25, just based on the fact that you know, it is a full day walking tour. Uh, you know, it's best if participants have transportation between the track and the Hall of Fame. Uh, since we will be going back and forth between the, the backside, the National Museum of Racing, and then back to the track again. 
But with that, chaperones and parents, guardians are encouraged to come and they would register for a ticket just the same as any of the youth that they are with. Uh, And the 15 to 25 year olds, that's just a suggested age range. You know, sometimes the little ones, it gets to be a bit of a long, tiring day for anyone who's under that age. Uh, And, you know, because they are career focused tours, we are trying to gear this towards high school, college, and maybe post-grad students who are, you know, hopefully actively looking for jobs or are, you know, actively looking to become a participant in this industry in some way, shape, or form. I've joked a lot about what, in my experience, are the two most common paths, it feels like, for a lot of my friends who've gotten involved in the industry. On one hand, the, 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 way, that, the, the way that I came up, the, the sort of rough and tumble path, comparatively, I'd say, of working for the Saratoga Special for a summer or two or five. Lots of great industry <laughs> friends have come through that way. Of course, then there's the, the famous, the posh way of getting it done and very exclusive way of getting it done. Not easy at all to get into the Darley Flying Start program, which I know has produced you know so many people. And we're proud here and excited at In The Money Media that our, our very own Alex Sauceville is going to be uh, joining that course starting this fall. And, and I like to joke about, you know, we should at some point have a, have a charity a softball game between the, the alums of both of those uh, prestigious uh, organizations. You've been a, a member of both. You might be the only person. That's probably not true, actually. I can think of a couple other people who've, done, who've gone from, from one to the other or back again. But I bring this up not just as a tangent, but because I do feel like these are two ways that you can get people from outside of the sort of established bloodlines, if you will, of people who typically populate the horse industry into the horse industry. And of course, that's really the, the message behind what a lot of what you're doing with Amplify, trying to open up these paths. So with apologies for the rambling question, I will get to a question eventually here. I, I would love you to compare uh, the, the, the usefulness of both of those programs and, and give a little bit of compare and contrast to how they helped you on your own path in the horse industry. Ooh, that's a big question. I would say, you know, and, and this is something that was a, a mission of Amplify when we started to do more of this, but, uh, you know, getting into the Saratoga special piece of things, they internships for one give youth and young adults such a great way of learning not only what you love and what you do want to do, but what you don't want to do, which can be equally valuable. And it's for a set period of time. It's not like you are, you know, signing up for a job for an indefinite period of time. You know, you have a a certain number of days or months that you get to experience being part of uh, a certain sector of the industry. And really what I developed through the Saratoga Special was some unbelievable mentors through Sean and Joe Clancy and Tom Law. And the mentorship component is something that I think a lot of people can identify with when they first get involved in the industry, like you've already said, it can be very, you know, confusing. It's not a linear pathway. Uh, So having someone who you can turn to, who can offer you guidance on, you know, how do you create a educational plan or training plan to gain the skills that you need to get further involved in the sport. And so we do have a, a mentorship program now through Amplify. And so with Saratoga Special, 
you know, through, through the two summers that I did there, I was able to, you know, cover the sales and I met uh, the people at Phasing Tipton. And so that was actually my first job out of college was interning for Phasing Tipton. I moved down to Lexington. Also through working for the Saratoga Special, I met uh, the people at Mill Ridge Farm and ended up interning for them after I had uh, I interned for Phasig and then Keeneland and then Mill Ridge before getting into Flying Start. So it's kind of like you develop that mentor uh, or several mentors and they help to point you in the right direction and develop the right relationships. And then eventually that helps to build the skills that you can use towards applying for you know, another program. Uh, in my case, that was Godolphin Flying Start. And so it's really hard to to compare those because Flying Start is really, it, it builds on the knowledge that you already have and then helps you to grow it in, uh, grow and develop what you know so that you have a more global understanding of the thoroughbred industry and how different countries work together or how they approach different systems differently and, um, you know, I developed many more mentors through that and was able to learn more about how each country approaches education and recruitment and community engagement, all things that I'm using in my job now. So I feel like that was a very long answer to that. No, but they're both answer. incredible experiences. Yeah. It was a great, it was a crazy question and you did a fantastic job handling it and you've made me see it very differently. They're not really equivalent things at all. The nature of flying start, you have to, you don't start with flying start, you know, it's exactly. links in a chain. It's, it's a way to build. It makes sense to me. Someone like Alex who, you know, did not grow up in a, in a horse racing family, just grew up in this, in this area has done, you know, a lot of wor working sales for, various people and doing the whole Irish national stud course, which I think is another right. amazing program. And then even after all that, because he wants that global perspective, the flying start makes sense. All that said, I still think we would beat the heck out of them in softball. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually have to say, I agree with that. And I've got a quick anecdotal story to share about Alex. This is so funny. That just kind of gets into the, the relationships that you build in, in horse racing and the connections that you can develop. So you guys probably know that he's been on a mission to visit as many tracks around the country as he can. And my home track is the North Dakota Horse Park in Fargo, North Dakota. So that track has been on his list for some time. And finally, this summer, he we, I ran into him in Kentucky and he was like, hey, Anise, I'm going to the North Dakota Horse Park for opening weekend this year. So he actually uh, went and stayed at my parents' place with his dad and, and went to the track with my mom. And, and uh, you know, she loves to have a buddy and going to the races. And, you know, unfortunately, I haven't made it back to the horse park in some time. So so way to go, Alex. He got to, he got to visit the actual best track in the whole wide world, good old North Dakota Horse Park. That's so awesome. I absolutely love that. I want you to talk about some of the other stuff you have cooking with Amplify because it's, you know, as, as big of an initiative as these tours are, I know you got some other stuff cooking as well that the folks are going to want to know about. Yeah. So we, I actually work for the Kentucky Equine Education Project Foundation, and they do a lot with education and workforce in Kentucky among all horse breeds and disciplines and really represent the economic interests of the 
of the uh, equine industry within Kentucky between the Keep Alliance and the Keep Foundation. So Amplify works very closely with Keep to promote careers and jobs and pathways in the industry. And a big thing that we got started, we kind of piloted it last year and it's kicked off this year is we developed an equine careers tour series. So once a month, we've been doing a in-depth educational tour of a different equine facility, whether it's thoroughbred uh, or otherwise around the central Kentucky area uh, so that high school and college students who might have had some level of interest in working in the equine industry, but you know, may not have known about the variety of jobs or the pathways that are required or the educational, uh, you know, focus that it takes to get into a certain career. We bring them into these facilities and they get to meet different equine professionals and, you know, the either the academics that they had to have under their belt before they got into their specific job or the training or certifications. So that has been awesome. Amplify earlier this year uh, with the support of my resource started a, what we're calling Amplify Junior. So we've started a children's specific sector of Amplify that will focus on engagement with youth and their families that are 12 and under. And so we have a little career or not career. I keep saying careers as much as we do want them to have a career. We're not focused (laughs) on careers right off the bat. But with the, the 12 and unders, we've, we've started a tour series that follows the life cycle of the thoroughbred. So we started off with cool. mares and foals. They learn about stallions. We're going to visit the racetrack. They're learning about aftercare, sales, training, so they can start to see all the pieces uh, in the life cycle of a thoroughbred from, from the time they're born to the time when they go off to you know, another job beyond the racetrack. So those are a couple of fun things. Our mentorship program, we're going to be expanding that next year. This year, it, the last two years, it's included uh, 18 to 25-year-olds. And it's a really, again, career, mostly career-focused mentorship initiative where young adults can apply and be paired with uh, an industry professional who will help to guide them in creating a educational and training plan or apply for a specific program. Uh, and really offer them more guidance on getting in, more involved in the industry, whether that actually turns out to be a career or even if they leave the program and just have a, a better understanding and a positive impression of the thoroughbred industry. So next year, we're expanding that to be 15 to 25-year-olds. It will include high school students. And so I'm I'm really pumped about that, that we can start to reach more uh, ages and stages in in the youth that want to get involved in the industry. It's fantastic. If there's any way, we'll, we'll do the production meeting uh, in the middle of the show type thing here, where I say to you, if there's any way we can help with that, uh, you know, on the, if there's somebody interested in in one of the programs looking for mentorship on the media side, we'd love to help out. You know, it's a great idea, and I think you're right. It's a win win. Obviously, if it works out and so it sticks and it takes, and somebody becomes. Uh, wanting to have a a proper career in the industry that's great but if all you're getting is just a deeper understanding of what the sport of horse racing is about i I don't see how that could possibly be a bad thing the website to learn more about all of these programs amplifyhorseracing.org i suggest that folks check that out and uh, see what what programs might be appropriate for them or again 
you know, a lot of people listening are, are they, they're either they're working in the business already, they work in other businesses, they do horse racing as a hobby, but you will in your time find people who are looking how to get involved. And because of the work that Amplify is doing, some of the barriers, traditional barriers to entry are being um, broken down. So remember that website, amplifyhorseracing.org. I would be remiss in not asking you, as this is a horse racing podcast, about your own horse racing podcast that you co-host. Tell folks what they can expect to find there and where they can find you. Oh, that is the uh, Amplify Horse Racing podcast. We do some, we do regular virtual events through Amplify uh, on a monthly basis. Those are live streamed over our social media. And then the Amplify Horse Racing podcast focuses on talking about career paths of, you know, different people who are involved in various aspects of the industry and, you know, what their personal pathway looked like, how they discovered racing and advice that they'd have for other young people who are getting involved. And again, whether that includes a job or a career or ownership or, you know, I know that handicappers are exceptionally important as well. And so whatever pathway they're involved in, trying to highlight those pathways and tell young people how they can also pursue uh, those avenues. So you can find that on, on basically any podcasting network, you know, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or, you know, we put them on our social media as well. So, yes, that's that's that. That's the lowdown. You can follow Anise at Anise from Fargo on Twitter. You should also follow Amplify. Uh, I don't remember the URL, uh, not URL, a handle off the top of my head for that one, but I'm sure you know it. It is uh, at Amplify Racing on Twitter and then at Amplify Horse Racing on Instagram and Facebook. Good stuff. Anise, thank you so much for your time today. Look forward to seeing you over there. Thank you so much, Pete. Happy Saratoga. Last but not least, a returning guest, and she's got an important message for you today. Around here, we call her the first lady of the In the Money Players podcast from the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. It's Kim Weir. Kim, how's your summer going? Happy August, Pete. We are in it, and it is awesome, I think. <laughs> I saw you there at Phasing Tipton last night with your red vest on. Someone had chosen a very strange spot to sit where I couldn't stay and talk to you for very long. So I didn't get the sense of how your experience has been uh, working at the sale. Um, how has it been? Why, did you have a good first night? You looking forward to night two? It is. You know, that is a, it is a unique role and a wonderful role. I do like to try to be useful in this universe. And uh, that gives me the chance to do be somewhat useful and also get a bird, cat bird seat and all the fun excitement. <laughs> and um, it was actually, honestly, this was my second year being an usher. Um, and it is actually a, a fun thing to do as a volunteer. And then the, the proceeds that the Phasing Tipton group gives to the nonprofit I volunteer for that nonprofit is now going to direct some of the funds to the TRF herd. So how's that? I'm, I'm, I'm ushering for the horses. I've found a new way to indirectly raise money for the horses, but it's so much fun to greet people. It is so much fun to show some of these wonderful individuals to their seats. I showed a 98 year old man to his seat last night. It was, it's just cool and, and really a gift to get to sit there and watch it all. So it was fun to see you in passing. Was the 98-year-old bidding? I, I I assume he would be looking exclusively for, you know, two-year-old, three-year-old runners. <laughs> yes, probably not. Uh, he was. He was with a family, and um, I think he had been at the sale uh, many of those 98 years. This was not his first rodeo. The man knew his way around the horse, oh. and it was cool to see oh, him. Oh, that's great. Well, let's talk about other TRF-related projects this summer. Specifically, it's high time we started pushing what I consider one of the events of the season up here in Saratoga, the barbecue at the barn. You guys are back. 
Tickets are on sale. They're going fast. When is it? Where is it? What can people expect? Where can they buy tickets? Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Indeed, please mark your calendars wherever you are, August 23rd, which is otherwise known as the Tuesday before Traverse. We will be gathering all of our friends of the herd uh, to celebrate summer, to celebrate horses at the Saratoga Winery, which is a very beautiful venue. It's kind of a park-like setting just west of town. Um, And it is from five o'clock to nine o'clock on that Tuesday evening. Um, We get the run of the place. So we have a beautiful uh, event barn. That's the barbecue at the barn. Uh, There's actually a barn, but it's really that backyard that is just so pretty where we have the outdoor seating. And Jeff Walton is a friend who performs uh, acoustic guitar. He will be with us. And of course, the most perhaps most popular celebrities, I no, no, no offense, my dear friend, but the celebrities I speak of are the four hooved ones that join us every year. <laughs> uh, we do love our racing celebrities, but Tinkerbell and Lily are there to represent the herd in miniature, our little mini ponies, as is our good friend Upset from our friends at Impressions and Dark Horse. So there will be at least three um, living, breathing equines at the barbecue to entertain all ages. Um, and that's our plan. We will have great food. We'll have great drink. I have to mention, shout out to the beverages that you and I both enjoy, because this year the Saratoga Winery is giving us a dollar off of every drink purchased. It is a cash bar, but all those drinks will go to the horses. Um, and then and then there's the silent auction in the bar and the uh, raffles. So it's such a fun night. It's all the more fun because you're with us, Pete. Thank you so much for making it a part of your busy summer social schedule. Best place for people to go and get tickets? Absolutely. Go straight to our website, the beloved trfinc.org. And then you'll see up in the top corner, the events tab. And it is the next event. It is right there. It's also, if you go to your own link, Pete, your slash players, you'll still find that events tab at the top of the page. So just go there and it's easy to find. Uh, tickets are now $50 a person and um, it's all ages. Bring the kids. Uh, we will actually have a babysitter to do some kids activities. Um, bring everybody, bring your friends. I do cool. I do think we have a good crew coming of our, of our favorite people that um, regularly haunt these airwaves. <laughs> I love to hear that. Uh, and obviously people are supporting the TRF and buying their tickets with the drinks, as you mentioned, but you've also got a lot of sponsors behind the event this year. And I know there were a couple of those you wanted to, to name check on these airwaves. Well, yes. Well, please, when you go to the website and you click on the events link, I'm going to ask you to take 15 extra seconds and scroll through the amazing lineup of sponsors. Cause that is how an event like this really packs a punch. Um, cannot say enough about every single sponsor, but in the spirit of timeliness today, I will just do the biggest of shout outs to our two gold sponsors, top of the pyramid. They've each given a generous gift. And that is our friends at five college movers, which is like the most practical company to know about. If you live anywhere in the Saratoga area, they moved the TRF offices in April and are great friends. They're also big racing fans and they turned up in mass last year at the barbecue and bought a lot of raffle tickets and seem to have won a lot of good stuff. So we love, 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 love our friends at Five College Movers. Kendrick Carmouche is also a huge fan of, Ken, of Five College Movers. So we love those guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Patrick, and all involved. And then we also send this huge amount of love and appreciation to our friends at Betmakers Technology Group. And that's a group you know so well, Pete. We are so grateful for Dallas and Zach and Jennifer, the whole team at Betmakers. They're really making a of splash here in the U.S. Uh, and you know so much about that with the fixed odds, but I just want to say they are doing all the right things by supporting a group like us. We're so grateful because they're really putting their um, their money where the horses are, which is taking care of our 
TRF Heard. So those two, uh, just a special thanks to each of those gold sponsors and every other sponsor listed on our website. A lot of silver sponsors this year and then a herd of bronze sponsors, including our friends at In The Money Media. So thank you. We love that. We love to be a part of it. And that's great to hear about betmakers. You know, we've talked a lot to them about industry first being a big part of their platform. These aren't disruptors coming in here to say, hey, we're just going to do things our way. They're trying to integrate with everything going on in the horse racing business. And it's good to see them putting the money where the mouth is as far as that kind of industry first talk goes. That's great. Um, and I'm glad you've gotten the, the support you need to put on events like this. But now I want to get to something very specific about the barbecue, which is the silent auction. Because I'll tell you what, last year I thought you had an unbelievable array of things. And look, people spent some money and, 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 and that was great. But I kept thinking to myself, I know if my listeners could really see everything that's here and have access to it, uh, we could get these numbers up even higher and help the herd that much more. So I want you to shine a light for a minute, if you will, on a couple of the auction items. Tell people where they can see what else is going on and let them know, look, you can you can informally find a proxy if you know somebody in Saratoga. But if you're not somebody who has that ability, we're going to try and I can't commit to this yet, but we're going to try to cook up a way where you can proxy bid if you're a podcast listener and you know there's an item there that you want. I mean, heck, you might end up uh, texting me and I'll write down your name and it'll keep me busy during the night. But I just want to make sure that the widest array of people possible can get a crack at some of these awesome items. Kim, what have you got in store for us? Well, thank you for that, Pete. I, I do. We share the same thing is that we have some wonderful things that uh, we want to be made the most of. And and the, the things that I'd like to spotlight with a few minutes here are the things that you just money can't buy these things, quite frankly. Yes, a silent auction essentially puts a price tag on them, but they are the gifts of time and talent that some of our very favorite people have shared with us. These are my favorite things in the auction. And then I'll do a few others that are a little more tangible. But the first one I'm going to mention is brand new, has never been put in a silent auction before. You're hearing it here first. It is our very own beloved Ramon Dominguez, Hall of Fame jockey, tremendous human, um, Hall of Fame human. And he he um, is going to host a, a lucky winner or group of winners, if they're a little uh, group of friends or family, he's going to take them on the backstretch. And it's not a backstretch tour per se. It is a watching the workouts through the eyes of a Hall of Fame jockey. It is a let's explain what you're seeing. What is that exercise rider doing? What is that horse doing? What is that workout going on? What, what does he see when he watches the horses in the morning? I have to think you have a handicapper or two listening, Pete, that might just want to know what someone with that much horse expertise and riding expertise says about the horses. Just just um, fun because he is just a delight. And I know you'll end up with stories. He is a great storyteller. But the idea is to really kind of de- demystify the morning workouts through the eyes of a Hall of Fame jockey. And this is the first Phenomenal. time Ramon's doing it. And I'm so grateful to him. And I just think this is going to be a very special thing that we will make happen. Um, and that's the first one I'd mention. Um, that's, that's great. I mean, you talk about great experiences, no matter what part of the racing business you're connected with, I can't imagine anything uh, cooler than getting to hear him and, and his opinion of horse flesh. I know he's obviously uh, got a very good one and I, I mean, I just think it sounds incredible. I, I, I might be bidding on that one myself. Kim. Yeah, I know I will learn if I'm the one driving the golf cart, which is usually my role in this whole thing, um, is uh, I will <laughs> learn a lot myself. And I, I spend at least a little time with horses. But that one's one I want to mention because it's brand new. Um, then I'll jump right one to one that is just 
a powerhouse for the herd. And that is our dear friend, uh, the Mig, Richie Migliori. The man has found his many, one of his many callings is as a tour guide of the Saratoga racetrack. You and I have friends who just joined me on this very experience earlier in the meet. They would, they would be the first ones to tell you how great it was. The Mig's knowledge of the history of the racetrack is extraordinary. And then his own personal stories are just the stuff of, you know, of movies. And um, he, he just loves doing these things so much. And he's now got his own fundraising page to, to do these tours, but we've sold him out for this summer. So he's putting um, that in the auction that we can schedule for next summer. Um, it is really a rare, rare treat to spend two hours on the track with, with Richie. So that's in there and a great gift of his time and, and we're so grateful and fabulous. And we had our guests from uh, Chicago come by and do the tour. I had too much work to do that morning. I was actually invited and couldn't make it, which I felt terrible about. And then I felt even worse when I heard how wonderful it was. I mean, that that's another, yeah, essentially priceless experience and opportunity. When you're talking about hanging out with guys like Ramon and Richie too, it's, it's really a win, win, win. Cause you're not only going to be able to be the beneficiary of their knowledge, but you're also going to meet two of the nicest human beings you're ever going to meet. Too. Yes, so exactly I, I, right. I can't recommend right. either of those experiences highly enough. Yeah. So with, so those two, I will highlight the, the other, you know, two more experiences I'll do lighter touch are um, our farm experiences. So um, we have our own beautiful farm. We have several of our farms. We'll have experiences where our, your listeners could visit um, at Chestnut Hall, which is the beautiful farm outside Louisville. We have a beautiful package there to have your own private visit to the farm. You can do a little uh, wine and cheese on the porch you know, you can make the farm your own. So like enjoy your own horse farm for an afternoon in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, that is a, a, a treat and you can time that as your travels, uh, uh, accommodate. We also are very excited to offer that sort of a visit to our, our very dear second chances program at Blackburn in Lexington. Uh, that's a very unique thing. Let's tell, let's say very rarely, are you going to bid on an opportunity to go into a prison? I know that is weird, but it is wonderful because our partners at Blackburn are so gracious and they know that when we bring people in who care about our work, they are moved by what they see. So those are two very unique opportunities to visit TRF, actual TRF horses, but also visit two very unique, beautiful and special farms. Um, and then I'm going to finish if I could. I do want to say that all of these things will be listed. They're, they're mostly listed on the website today, but my afternoon's homework is to get them all on the website. Um, we have some really cool things that have been donated by, by really cool partners of ours. And I'd start with another new item, which is for those listeners, not to get controversial here, but for those Yankees fans who might be listening, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not picking, I'm not picking teams. I'm just saying that the wonderful um, folks at the Yankees have given us a very special VIP ticket package with hospitality and parking. And I, I think they will be taking really good care of, of, I think these are very nice tickets for the Yankees. Uh, we've got that certificate and I'm sure it has date, you know, had some flexibility on dates and some limitations on dates, but it is for those who do love the Yankees. Um, that's something new for us. And I, I think that I, my understanding of someone who doesn't follow much baseball is that I think they're, I think they're a pretty good team. I think that some people they're might find good. that interesting. They're pretty good. My guys are my guys are catching up. They're they're uh, no. I mean, even I as a as a as a Mets guy, I, I love going to baseball games. So you know, I I might I might worry that I'd be struck by lightning karmically from a Yankee VIP package. But I I even I would bid on that one as well. That's that's fabulous. We have one more you want to highlight, and then we'll send people to the website for the rest. And obviously, we'll continue to talk about these, and and we'll try to develop this proxy bid concept 
too for people who are interested who can't make it. Yep, exactly. So I would say one more thing to mention is that our, we also have very good partners at, at Churchill Downs and we're so grateful to them. They've actually underwritten a number of our events this summer. They're helping with the barbecue. They really helped with some of the um, out-of-pocket costs for an event last Friday at the Adelphi. We love the team at Churchill Downs, but they have also put in a very, very full um package of tickets and hospitality and parking at Churchill Downs, which is a great place to go to the races. And so um, for folks who will have Louisville in their travel plans, that's one that you can use at all different times of the year. So um, that's there. There's also some beautiful original art that will be there. The the Kentucky Derby artist, Amy Griffiths, has given us an original piece. It's currently hanging in my living room, but it will be going to the auction. (laughs) I've just been taking good care of it. Um, Skip Dickstein gave one of his beautiful photographs. Some of you may have seen on um, on Skip's page. It was this beautiful rainbow shot from very early in this year's Saratoga meet. Um, so anyway, there is going to be a lot of beautiful things, wonderful things, and we would love to encourage bids from far and wide, and we'll do our best love to it. make that easy. Yeah, and if there's a way to feature, I don't know, you know, if your your uh, WordPress skills or whatever you use are, are up to trying to create a page where you, we can see people can see some of the art or see some of the items. That might be that might be a nice selling touch if, if yes. that's a if that's a possibility. That Not to give you another thing. Yeah, this is takes a little computer time, which I haven't had much of. But today, in the next couple of days, that is my intent. So keep Great. stay tuned on that website. I love it. Kim, we are out of time. I want to thank you very much for coming on here. I'll see you 18 times before the barbecue at the barn, but I look forward to seeing you there as well. Thank you, Pete. Look forward to seeing everybody on August 23rd. May it not get here too soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's an excellent point. We're getting pretty late in the summer at that point. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank Kim and Anise and Nick for stopping by and and, uh, sharing their their stories and thoughts about this uh, fantastic Summer, maybe a little too hot, but still fantastic summer we're having up here in Saratoga Springs. Our founding partners, we'll shout them out. You've heard all about the TRF. Buy tickets and get a chance to look at some of these silent auction items. trfinc.org slash players is a great link to find more info and to donate. 10 Strike Racing, looking forward to the return of Clay Sanders to Saratoga. Not too far in the future and around here, you know how we always pull for the purple and black. Thanks, though, most of all to all of you, the listeners and viewers, for making these shows so much fun to do. If you want to help us out, subscribe to our programming, whether it's over at YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. You can leave us nice five-star reviews as well. That helps people to find the show. And it's not so much that people are going through and reading reviews to decide which podcast to go to, but it's the algorithm, folks, the all-knowing algorithm. These things are things you could do that could really help us out. Free email newsletter in the moneypodcast.com slash email. And if you want to take it to the next level, there's always in the money plus special show out today on this carryover at Colonial Downs tonight with Jessica Paquette in the moneypodcast.com slash plus for that one. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos.